So in my work, I have some really cool things and then there's some terrible things. The really cool thing is I get to see all these businesses succeed and like grow wildly, have like transformations occur because of the tools that we provide at Fix Your Funnel. But at the same time, not everybody makes the best choices. And so I get to witness what I call the three-act tragedy of small business. And this three-act tragedy has three parts or acts. You know, act one is the pinch of shrinking cash flow prompts a panic. Act two is the search for expenses to cut, you know, some way to, to bolster cash flow so they can survive. And then act three is the business closes. Now, not every tragedy that starts act one ends up in act three, but many of them do. And it's one of the bummer things that I get to experience in, in my line of work. But this really comes to this question of, do I focus on managing expenses or building revenue? And, you know, this is a classic question. It's a classic dilemma. I've heard it discussed in many spheres by many very smart people, much smarter than I am. And as they discuss this, you know, it seems as though it is a, a dilemma that has an unresolvable conflict. Because, you know, if you're to manage well, if you're to be smart, you do have to manage expenses. You, you can't just spend money without having some sort of accountability on that money. Um, at the same time, if you want to grow a business, you must build revenue. If you don't build revenue, the business will never get better. So you have to build revenue. But to build revenue or to increase sales, you have to make investments. There's expenditures that will happen, at the very least in marketing and advertising, if not other things that you must do. And so there becomes this, this dilemma of, do I spend the money on the tools that facilitate sales or on advertising or on these other things? Or do I cut back on those in order to preserve cash flow and, and manage expenses, which in turn could threaten and disrupt building revenue? It's all around this central thing, though, which is cash flow. Cash flow determines how long your business will survive and exist. If your cash flow is good, you'll survive long enough that you can hopefully learn the lessons you need to about your particular business so that you can become successful. If cash flow is not good, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how wonderful your product is, the business will die. And so the cash flow really is the king, as they say, and it's really the key to your success because if you can manage cash flow well, then what happens is you get to survive long enough that hopefully you can learn the lessons, whether it's through the school of hard knocks or through consultants or, you know, reading and educating yourself or whatever it may be. And so the interesting part about cash flow is it has nothing to do with profitability. In a recent article I wrote, I talked about Amazon. Amazon, you know, I think they just barely had some profitability occur in the last few years, or maybe it's even more recent than that. But for a decade or so, maybe two decades, for a long time, they've been operating at negative profitability at a loss, right? And the reason that they were able to survive that long is because they had investment, they had debt, and between those two things, they were allowed to continue as a company, even though they didn't have profit. And that ability to last that long has put them in a really powerful place. They, you know, they're putting other businesses out of business because of their ability to survive even without profits, but because of cash flow. So cash flow really is the most important thing in terms of survivability of a business. Ultimately, yes, we do want to get the profitability because you can only survive on investment and debt so long. Uh, 
And for a small business, taking on investment debt is a really risky proposition because the likelihood that you could fail is very high because you don't have the expertise, you don't have the personnel, you don't have all the pieces that you need to be able to convert that investment into more cash. So it's really critical. You got to really be careful about that as a small business. But, you know, some people may even question the fact they say it's either you manage expenses or you build revenue. But the, the fact of the matter is, is each of us has a limited amount of time, money and effort. And that limitation on time, money, effort applies to all businesses. Even Amazon, who seems to have unlimited resources, doesn't. Who seems to have unlimited effort available, which is people working, it doesn't. There are limits on all of businesses. And as you're a smaller business, those limits become more apparent and they're even more in your face. And so it's really critical that you put your mental effort, your mental energy as the, the owner or director of a business towards the most important things. And if you start looking at the wrong things, if you start focusing too much on expenses, then you can start making mistakes. Now, if you do find yourself in the crash crunch, I do want to give you a quick tip on how to deal with that. And the best way to deal with that is you have to look at all expenditures in the company and you have to throw them into one of two categories. Either they support sales and fulfilling on the promises you made to customers or they don't. Those are the two categories. And if it supports sales, and it actually supports sales, so this is where you have to do an evaluation if you're going to look at this, you're going to do this. The things that you'd never want to cut are things that actually are critical to sales occurring. So that could be marketing. That could be whatever you have to do in the sales process to get people to a buying decision and then making that buying decision to you know spend money with your company. Anything that's critical to that process can't be sacrificed. But, you know, that's where you have to do some evaluation. Is this critical to the process? And if it is, don't cut it. Cut everything else, you know, everything else that is not critical to that process. If you're in a cash flow crunch and you have problems going on, if you cut anything that is connected to growing revenue, then you're toast. Then you're going to be part of that three-act tragedy of small business that I talked about at the beginning. So you really got to be careful about that. Now, the next important concept to understand is that the cause of shrinking cash flow is actually human nature, which is fascinating. See, in the very first business I had that was actually successful, and I had many that were unsuccessful before that, before I learned some critical lessons that you know changed everything for me. But the first one that was successful, we were working with real estate agents. And real estate agents have you know some stigmas around them, and some of them are, are well-earned and should be there. And others probably are, you know, harsh, but one of the things that was very fascinating about working with so many, because we worked with 40,000 real estate agents over the course of this business, is that we saw patterns. And these patterns were common amongst people from all different types of backgrounds and with all different sorts of skill sets and, you know, positive mental attitude and all, you know, negative attitude. Didn't matter. There were these these concepts still showed up and that was the feast or famine. It was very common for them to have just this great quarter followed by a terrible quarter. And the reason that we discovered that was, is because of human nature dictating the processes of the business. And so that really, you know, for me called out the importance of systems and automation and key parts of the business that are connected to sales So every business has to have a sales component 
marketing is helpful, but marketing alone rarely will get the job done as well as marketing and sales. So it's got to have a sales component to it for it to be successful. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to have quote unquote salespeople, but there has to be this, this discussion that happens to help people to make decisions to buy above and beyond the people who buy on their own. And if you don't have people that are helping people make buying decisions above and beyond those people who buy on their own, they kind of maybe come through marketing and stuff, you're leaving most of your profits on the table. And if you can accept that and then do something with it, you're going to see some great transformations occur. But at the core of this is, is this tendency for humans to procrastinate or not do the things that they know they should because you know, who knows? You know, there's a lot of different reasons. I think one of the more prominent ones is we're afraid to confirm the suspicions of that negative voice that bounces in our head, either because somebody else has been telling us that or we've been telling ourselves that, but that you know, you're a failure or you're not going to be successful. There's no way you can do this. Why do you think you can do that? You know, that, that kind of dialogue goes on in most people's heads. They have to deal with it in some way or another. And procrastination of business, largely, I believe, is based on that. It doesn't really matter what it's based on because human nature expresses itself nonetheless. But, you know, it's that kind of fighting with yourself about if I go and I, I do the sales stuff, and it doesn't work out, it's going to prove I don't know what I'm doing or the people don't like my product or they don't like my service. And that's not really going to happen, but that's what people are afraid of. And so I think they kind of tend to avoid or delay or postpone, in other words, procrastinate, doing the things that they need to do on a regular basis because they're afraid it's going to reveal something about them, their business that they don't want to see. Well, here's the reality. Not everybody that has raised their hand, not everybody that expressed interest actually is going to be in a position to buy at that point in time. And I like to use the analogy of a fruit tree to help people to understand this so that they don't take it personally. They just recognize it's part of the human condition, is that not everybody is ready to buy at the time you want them to buy. And if you can understand that and you can build systems that are, are built around that understanding, then you can do well. So with the fruit tree, if you've ever had a fruit tree, like we've got some citrus trees in our backyard, and those citrus trees start growing fruit, and then the fruit starts to ripen. And the interesting thing is not all the fruit ripens at the same time. So if you go and visit the tree one day, there might be a couple lemons on one tree, a couple oranges on another that are ready, but they're not all ready. And so if you visit the tree and you just pick the fruit that's ripe and then walk away, you leave most of the fruit on the tree still. And as another facet of that, if you go to the tree and you pull all the fruit off the tree, the ripe fruit and the unripe fruit, and then you look at it and say, oh, three of these are ripe and three, 300 of these are not, throw the 300 away, that's highly inefficient as well. So with the fruit tree, you got to keep coming back to it during its time of ripeness, right? Which means, you know, it could be a period of months. You're coming back to the tree daily to find the fruit that's ready and take it off the tree and leave the fruit that's not ready to continue to, to move towards being ready. And so the reality is when you're generating prospects and leads, they're expressing interest. They are at that point sort of like that piece of fruit that's formed on the tree, but not all of them are ready at the same time. Some of them are going to be ready immediately. They're going to ripen very quickly. You can take those in forms of sales off the tree. Now, if you get frustrated, you'll go back to it. And you go, oh, gosh, all that other fruit wasn't ready. I'm a failure. Then you're misunderstanding the way that things work. The way that things work is that people have different circumstances. They're on different tracks. And so those circumstances and interest have to match up. So in marketing, we talk about there's message, there's market or the people, and then there's timing. And when those three are in the, all in, in sync, that's when we have a sale. 
So if we have the message right and we attract the right people, then the, the, the third component is timing. And maybe the timing isn't right yet. Maybe our message isn't clear enough. Maybe we're talking to the wrong people, but as we work through those three things, we start finding the fruit that's ripe and ready to pick, or in other words, the sales. And so if you understand, that's how the whole thing works. Not everybody that says, hey, I'm interested, is actually able to or has the motivation to buy at the moment that you come to them. So if you can understand that, then you'll realize what I really need is a consistent way to check to check the tree. Now, that doesn't mean you consistently go, are you ready to buy? Are you ready to buy? Are you ready to buy? But there are ways of engaging with the prospect or the lead in a way consistently that will allow you to help them to self-identify as ready to buy. And if you have that system, then what happens is we don't have shrinking cash flow. So shrinking cash flow occurs when we just check the tree and we only take the fruit that's ripe or and then we never come back until we're starving again. Then we, then we come back to the tree and then some of it's rotted on the ground, which means they went and bought from somebody else. Some of it's still not ripe and then some of it's ripe. And then we pull some more fruit off and we go, okay, I'm hungry. You know, I'm not hungry anymore. I've got food. And then we go eat. And then we come back when we're starving again to the tree and then we pull off the tree. Well, that's not a way to grow a business. That's going to cause your cash flow to go up and down. What you want to do is have a, a systematized approach for going back to the tree on a regular basis to collect that fruit. So you always have the right fruit on the table. And if you can do that, now you're in a place where you can actually cause cash flow to grow. And you'll know cash flow is growing because the bank account of the business will outpace your need to draw money from it. And so that's when you know, okay, we're actually growing a business because we've introduced processes that mitigate the impact of human nature. If you've been listening to me for a while, you've probably heard that phrase before. But what we want to do with automation is we want to mitigate human nature. And the way that we do that is we have to have simple mechanisms that we put into place that maybe combine eventually to a sophisticated process, but initially are very simple. So when it comes to simple mechanisms, our primary concern has to be sales. Now, the fascinating thing about sales is all sales happen in conversation. All sales happen in conversation. And so if we want to be able to have more sales, we must have more conversations. And so we need to have simple mechanisms that facilitate conversations, right? And so for a long time, a lot of people have used email to try and initiate those conversations. And email has a lot of positive attributes, but it, what it's not great about is creating timely conversations because it's so bombarded. There's so many things going on in the email inbox. There's so much demand on the recipient and there's so much competition that becomes very difficult to get attention and engage in conversation. Can it happen? Absolutely. In fact, there's many companies that survive solely on email, which is in many respects a miracle, but at the same time shows you how much potential is still latent in that company. You, you bring me a company that's doing really well just on email, and I can double, triple, maybe even quadruple that company in a matter of months just by introducing some simple mechanisms like the one I'm going to talk to you about in this episode. And the reason why is because it's the mo most ineffective way to try and initiate conversations, which is what happens with sales is we have to have those conversations. So the simple mechanism uh, is based on marketing rule number 19, which is you got to know how you're going to sell before you decide how the lead capture. Now, the best way to sell is to engage in conversations. The best conversations are in reliable methods that you know are available to the prospect, right? So how can you communicate with a prospect? If you ask that question, you think about it, you'll come up with a list of ways that you can communicate with the prospect. We could send them 
a letter in the mail. That would be a way to communicate with a prospect. We could send them an email. Hopefully we have a good email address for them, one that they actually check on a regular basis. Again, there's competition, all that jazz. With a mail, like if I'm sending a letter, there's the expense and then there's the timing and then a way for them to respond. And so, you know, there's always pluses and minuses to each method. Now, what we know today is that most everybody has a cell phone on them or a mobile phone on them or within three feet of them 24 hours a day. Now, because of that, we need to look and say, okay, what methods of communication are available on that device? Because that would be the most reliable device for us to be able to communicate with somebody. Now, it's called a smartphone, so technically we should be able to call them on it. Uh, Every smartphone also comes with a texting app pre-installed. In fact, you can't delete it because it's directly connected to the primary method of communication on that device, which is through the phone number. There's a unique phone number on that phone. Yeah, sure, new technology makes it so you can have multiple phone numbers on that phone, but there's still one device and that device has always at least one number and that phone number is always unique to an individual. So that's pretty good. They could email. They could, people check email on their cell phones and there are drawbacks and concerns with that, but that happens as well. It's pretty much a guarantee, but not 100%, not as much as like the ability to call and text is, but it's pretty close up there. Most people do have email connected on their phone, but not all. Then we could start looking at other methods of direct communication with people. So we could chat with people through Facebook Messenger, or we could do a Twitter direct message. You know, those are some pretty common ones. You know, there is Instagram direct message. So there's you know some of these others, but the adoption on those isn't as certain as other things. And so that's always a concern when you're looking at is how certain is that connection. And so those are some of the the ways that we can communicate. So once we have those down, we got to start thinking about, okay, what's going to be the most reliable way for me to, to enter into a conversation with a prospect in a way that they are happy that we're doing that. And so the phone call is probably the most powerful because of the data transmission. Like, for example, this is kind of like a one-way phone call. You can pick up so much from my voice. You can pick up maybe a little bit of my emotion or how much I really believe the things I'm telling you. You can pick up on, you know, if I'm sick or if I'm feeling well. There's a lot of information coming at you beyond my words. And then the way that I say the words can also add additional meaning to those words. So if I draw out certain syllables or if I kind of put a emphasis on a particular word, it changes the meaning of those words. And so there's quite a bit of rich information transmitted through the voice. And so a phone call in and of itself is probably the most powerful method for communicating that we have in the sales conversation process. The only thing that would be second to it would be a video call because we can actually see some nonverbal communication that goes on with facial expressions or attention and that kind of thing. But all that being set aside, phone number, you know, in terms of the phone, that's probably one of the most powerful ways that we have to communicate in terms of a sales conversation because that rapid transmit of data from the prospect as well as from you, you can get to a, a a buying decision that's powerful and and effective for the person and much quicker. Now, but because that is also scary for some people, many prospects will not accept phone calls until they're ready to buy. And so that can be a very discouraging mechanism for some people to initiate with. And so one of the things that we've discovered is the text is so powerful because people don't feel threatened by text message. It is not as good as voice communication but it's the next best thing. And because of the speed of back and forth, 
it really lends itself to doing some pretty incredible things. And so the text message is one of the, the second most powerful method for doing a sales conversation on that phone, that device that we know is always within three feet of them. So we really want to think about, and this is going back to our marketing rule number 19, which is you must know how you will sell before you decide how to lead capture. We know that the most powerful ways to sell are over the phone or chat, you know, through text message. And so if those are the, the most powerful things that we we need to have a simple mechanism that would allow us to do two things. One, capture the cell phone number, the mobile phone number. And two, permission to engage in text conversation and by default phone conversation. So the, those are the two objectives that we have set for ourselves before we start going down this road of deciding how am I going to capture leads that can lead to sales. Now, you must focus on sales if you're like sub 5 million a year in, in revenue. Because if you don't focus on sales, you're probably not going to have the cash flow sufficient to survive. Again, those companies are surviving without sales conversations. They're sitting on a gold mine because if they can survive without sales conversations, if they introduce those for about 95% of those companies, it would be a revolutionary growth period for them to start moving in that direction because there's so much that's left on the table by not having conversations. And so we want that simple mechanism. The simple mechanism that I recommend for most people is the keyword phone number mechanism. Because when we ask somebody to text a keyword to a phone number, we do a couple of things immediately. We immediately collect their mobile phone number the second that they text that keyword in. We establish a conversation with the prospect because we're normally in that conversation. It's an automated conversation designed to gather some information and then segue into a live conversation. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But it opens the door for us to communicate respectfully by text message. It also identifies the reason so we have a context around this conversation that the prospect initiated contact. Because that keyword is associated to a particular call to action, which has context to it. And it tells us a lot about who they are and why they're there. And then finally, it allows us to start automation to communicate by email, text message, or voicemail drop, or even a phone call. So we got all those kind of things available to us now because we had them text a phone number and a keyword. And the fantastic thing about the keyword lead capture mechanism is, number one, it does satisfy the demand of market rule number 19 because it does allow us to, to be able to sell the way that we want to in our lead capture. But also, it sets the stage for us to segue into live conversation. It, and it also, it's transmittable. It, like, I can put it anywhere. So I could put this, I could put it in an article. I could put it in a podcast episode. I could put it on a video. I could put it in a social media post. I could put it in a direct mail piece. So it's very transferable. And it does all the same things that we would expect a web form to do, which is the typical simple mechanism that many people put into place. They'll put in a web form to ask for a name and an email, which for a long time was fantastic, but now you know, is really losing its power. And the reason why is because they're not considering how they're going to sell. And email's gotten more difficult than it was even just 10 years ago. I was doing a lot of stuff with email 10 years ago, and I would say is grown a hundred times more difficult and it's getting more difficult by the moment because of things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. And maybe in another podcast episode, I can go more into that and why that is. But for this simple mechanism of the keyword and the phone number, I typically will have this flow to it. And this flow is really simple, but I want to explain to you the flow and why it's important. The flow goes like this. The person will text in the keyword. I will ask the prospect for their name. They respond with their name. I ask them for their email address. 
presupposition there here on their part is that I will be delivering whatever the promise is through email. And so that makes sense to them that they should do it. The reason I asked for it second, not first, is because they would anticipate I need the email to deliver the thing. That may be because I set that expectation in the call to action. And so they know that they got to give me the name to get to the part where I ask them for their email address. That's going to help me make sure that I have their name, which allows me to be more personable in my communication with them. Once they text back the email address, I want to first express gratitude or you know, confirm for them that the thing that I promised them was going to be delivered. In many instances, I like to deliver that thing right in that text message that comes back after they give me the email address. Yes, I will probably email them as well. In most cases, I do. But I also want to provide it to them right there in that message. And the reason being is I'm trying to build a relationship of trust with somebody so that we can be able to have a conversation. People don't talk to people that they don't trust typically. And if they do, they do it with high anxiety, which is not the ideal scenario for someone to be able to enter into a relationship, financial relationship. That's not the ideal scenario, right? We want to not have anxiety, but we didn't have ease. We want to have trust. And so in order to build that trust, I want to deliver on my promises quickly and clearly. And so there are so many things that can go wrong with email. It could get in the spam box, you know, it could be filtered in some other way. And so they could feel as though I didn't deliver my promise if I rely on email alone. So I want to actually deliver that in my final message to them that's part of this automated conversation, that resource that I promised. And so I'll link to that. I'm not going to actually deliver it in the text message, but I'm going to deliver it in a link in that text message that can then go to that resource. And so that's the way I like to do it. And then there's a final part, which a lot of people don't do, which is the real key, because we've talked about from the very beginning that sales happen in conversation. So that's what we really need to have occur. So in my, my final text message, not only do I confirm that, you know, things being emailed to them, here's the link so you can consume it right now. But I'm going to ask a conversation starting question. This is what we call an open-ended question. When I was a kid, it was in the, the sixth grade as part of this little video crew that was doing interviews with teachers. And in one of the questions that we asked the teachers was, do you enjoy working here? And uh, later when we were talking to our, you know, kind of reviewing the video with our teacher that was supervising this, this crew, the teacher said, don't do that again. And we were like, don't do what? Don't ask closed-end questions. Don't ask questions that can only be responded with a one answer, you know, one-word answer, because that puts people on a spot, you know. So the person that you're saying, hey, do you like working here? They have to say yes or no. If they say no, then that puts them in a real awkward position, and they don't have anywhere to go. So you need to always ask open-ended questions because it gives people an ability to express themselves in a way that's honest instead of being controlled. And so in this, in this final question that I want to ask in the last step of an automated conversation, I want to ask an open-ended question that allows them to communicate without barriers uh, how they feel in a way that can be good for starting a conversation. So, you know, one example that I, that I would provide, in fact, this is from our demo conversation, is I asked, why did you text demo in the first place? So that, you know, I, one of our key keyword call to actions that we use a lot is text demo to 760-621-8199. In fact, if you don't use Fix Your Funnel, you're curious about what we do, that's the best way to see what we do is text demo, D-E-M-O, to 
621-8199. And then when you do that, you can experience, you know, the process that we use that I've kind of been describing here. Well, in that conversation, we do a couple of things. One is I, I push them to or encourage them, invite them to go through an assessment that allows us to see where they are and determine how we can help them best use what we have at Fix Your Funnel to grow their business. But I also asked this open question, why did you text demo? And the reason I asked that question is I, I generally want to know. And also it helps us to be able then to have a, a conversation to see if there's a way that we can help that person get to where they're going. So if they say, I'm just curious, then they're just curious. That's fine. But maybe they say, you know, I want to know how to have more sales occur in my business. And it seems like this would be a good way to do it. Okay. Now we're, we have a conversation that we can start. We can engage in a conversation with the person that can ultimately lead to a buying decision. That buying decision may be, uh, no, this isn't a match. And that may be something that we indicate, maybe something they indicate, but that conversation will allow us to get to that point where a buying decision can be made. And maybe it's like, wow, this is really fantastic. This would really help our business. And then they can make that decision. We're not making them make a decision, but we're going to have a conversation that can allow them to explore what they should do that would be in their best interest based on the information that they're able to gather through that conversation. So it's really powerful. And that's, you'll notice there, we're not twisting people's arms, not closing people, not doing anything that would be uncomfortable for them because that's not going to build a great relationship. See, one of the secrets to having a long-term business that's very successful is you build this relationship of trust with your market and you connect with them as a human to a human. Now, there's lots of humans in my business, and so they can have multiple connections to people in my business. But that experience overall, that feeling that they have as they interact with your business is critical to your long-term success. If somebody has a really good relationship working with your business, then the chances are they're going to talk about it with somebody at some point if they have the same need that your company you know, meets. But if they had a bad experience, You'd hope that they wouldn't talk about it because if they do talk about it, they're going to be driving people away from your business. And so it's really critical that you're always thinking as you're building these processes of sales and marketing of what will build that relationship, what will enhance that relationship, what would I want to do with my best friend if they needed what I have, you know, what would I want to do with family if they needed what I have. How would I want to engage them? How would I want to work with them? And my approach has been, and my, my experience has been, that as you do that, you build something that's amazing and it's wonderful and it's good to be a part of, and you feel great about the work that you're doing, and people feel great about the work you're doing, and they feel great about spending money with you. And so this very simple sales mechanism of having a keyword and a phone number is so powerful because it opens all these doors and allows all these things to happen that can really transform your business into this consistent machine that always checks the tree, gathers the ripe fruit, and builds cash flow in the company. And so fascinating for me to see how these very human and the, these principles of humanity and connecting with people directly connect to the kind of the nuts and bolts of business, the money, you know, and how do you provide that so that the business can grow and people can make good money and they can be happy about what they're doing. You can pay your team well, everybody can do well. And it all centers around this ability to connect with people and help them get the thing that they want that you may be delivering. And so hopefully that helps you as you look through your own business and you're trying to, you know, decide, well, how do I sell and how do I market? And how do I do these things? Be wary of people that are pointing in directions that go against your own heart.
If you feel like, man, I don't know that I feel comfortable with that, then that's probably a good sign that you shouldn't go that direction. I don't encourage people to send people text messages that they never requested. Don't text people that didn't text you, you know, or didn't say explicitly, yes, send me a text message. Because if you do that, you're violating one of the most intimate forms of communication that people have, aside from you know, person-to-face-to-face -to -face communication is text message. But when you do it right, when you do it with permission, when you do it in a way that is meeting the needs of the prospect, what happens is you create this amazing situation where you can really thrive as a company. You, you'll also notice that as simple as this mechanism is, and I talked about direct mail, you can put it in social media posts, you can put it on videos, you can put it in podcasts, you can put it in all these blog posts, you can put it in all these different places in order to allow people to start you know, interacting with your company. But I also have it memorized. And so I could run into anybody and I could give it to them. And how hard is it to memorize a word in your phone number? It's one of the simplest things you can do. And so you essentially have this web form, quote unquote web form, right? They can go anywhere with you and that puts people into this process that allows you to then work with them in a systematic way, which means our human nature isn't going to get in the way and it's not going to cause feast or famine, but rather we're going to be able to create this humanity, this connection with people with consistency that's facilitated by the machine, but that enhances your humanity, your ability to connect with people. That's why I'm so excited about this. I hope that you have caught the vision of how powerful it is to capture the phone number in a way that's meaningful and useful for the person you're capturing it from, and then to use that to be able to enter into conversations and help people get what they want. And as Zig Ziglar said, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll always get what you want. He probably didn't say it exactly like that, but that's the long and short of it. Well, this is Ryan Chapman's Fix Your Funnel. Keep moving forward.